0: Our first text is an Old Testament text from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, the last chapter of 2 Chronicles. We're going to read verses 15 through 19. Chronicles chronicles the history of Israel, and it ends with the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. The Babylonian captivity begins. So we catch at the very end of that. Uh, before they go into captivity, listen here to God's word. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm, he gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king, and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified cities with fire, and destroyed all its valuable articles. Amen. Our next text is going to be changed from what's in the bulletin. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 39 or something like that, I believe. Let me see here correctly. Yes, 27 through 39. Matthew 23 is a a long exhortation, rebuke, if you want to call it that, from the Lord Jesus, direct it to the, His own people there in Jerusalem during the Passion Week. Uh, Matthew's the only one who records this. It's the woe chapter, woe, woe, woe to you, it says. So we'll start at verse 27 and read through verse 39. Listen here to God's Word. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So that, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling." Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Then our primary text this morning is from Revelation again, chapter 16. All of chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. As I say in the sermon blurb in the bulletin, this is arguably the most fearful or terrible chapter in the whole Bible. As we read through it, you'll see, you'll see why. Uh, so, uh, it'll reveal the seven bowls of God's wrath that He pours out uh, in the vision that John sees from the Lord Jesus. Listen here to God's Word. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, Saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and His kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way would be be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world, to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Parentheses, Behold, I am coming like a thief, blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame, in parentheses. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of His fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we come to worship You in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your good works among us, the things you've done. Again, our hearts continue to cry out to you for mercy, for grace, for your provision. And Lord, we believe that your provision includes feeding us from your word, strengthening us in our inner man by virtue of the work of your word and of your spirit. So come now here in the proclamation of the word and glorify yourself. Help us, we ask in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and the Lord of all. Amen. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York made a interesting statement this past week. It drew some attention. I don't know if it got a lot of attention. Places I heard it had a lot of attention. Maybe it wasn't for you. He said, with regard to the numbers of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, he said, God did not bring the numbers down. We did that. And so, uh, it elicited a fair amount of comment. Really, God God was not involved. We did that. No glory to God, but glory to man. Isn't that what that statement says? Well, I can identify with that. I thought, man, I've said the same thing. And I thought of a particular instance. You know, I I went to college at Purdue University, but I flunked out. After three semesters, I had a 2.65 grade average. Now, Purdue was on a 6.0 system back then, where an A was a 6, and an F was a 2, a D was a 3. I had a 2.65 grade point average, and I flunked out. I was glad of it, I was happy. I didn't want to go to college. And I went off to the Navy and, you know, I, I showed him there I was a pagan, said that was the case, came back eventually to Purdue, and uh, the first semester there, I got on the dean's list. And I remember I was in my, the office of, I had a cousin who was on the faculty there in uh, uh, pharmacology, and he's a good Christian man, still he's a guy, who fellow who led me to the Lord, and he said, John. Isn't the Lord good, the Lord to put you on the dean's list like that? And I can remember saying, Don, the Lord didn't do that, I did that. (laughs) Yeah, same thing Pobo said, but in a different circumstance. And I think all of us tend to say things like that, because uh, that's the human response to achievement. The unconverted human response to achievement. We cannot see, we cannot recognize, we cannot give thanks for the hand of God. We just don't see it. We just don't get it. It sounds a lot like Revelation 16. Now let's maintain our vision and our balance as we head into Revelation 16 because the whole book is difficult and fraught with dangers unless you keep your balance and maintain your vision this is a prophecy. It's sent to the seven churches there in Asia, uh, written sometime in the mid-60s. And it's written to them. And uh, it says both at the beginning and at the end of the the prophecy that these are things that are nearby, going to happen. They will soon come to pass. And so we have to maintain that vision as we go all the way through this that that's what the text itself tells us about it. And the focus is on the Jewish nation. Uh, The Jewish nation are the people to whom the Messiah was promised. They were the only ones among all the nations of the world who had the promise that the Messiah would come and work among them. And Jesus did. Thousands and tens of thousands of Jews became believers and followers of Christ. They became Christians. But the leaders of the Jews and the bulk of the people Did not do so. Their antipathy, their anger, their their rejection of Christ grew as the years and decades went by. Now, we need to remember, as we start here with Revelation chapter 16, what is a great and wonderful attribute of God, namely his mercy. Now, I don't know if we have any, well, we have some former confirmation students here. You know, Psalm 103 verse 8 says this, you can see it right here, uh, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. We need to remember that. That's emphasized all throughout the Scriptures, that the Lord is slow to anger. He's full of compassion and loving kindness. We need to know that. Uh, Nonetheless, Israel has a history of resistance to God, even in the face of God's patience and God's loving kindness. They have a history of resistance. So we have our Old Testament text, which we read here from Matthew, or from uh, 2 Chronicles, uh, verses 15 and 16. Remember what they say? We, We read this. You can see it on your screen. The Lord, the God of our fathers, sent word to them, that is, to the Jewish people, again and again, remember, again and again, by His messengers, because He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised His words, and scoffed at His prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people, until there was no remedy. And at that point, the rest of 2 Chronicles, Jerusalem falls, Babylonian captivity ensues. Our gospel text, part of it from Matthew 23, Jesus himself said this, verses 34 and 36 through 36. He says, Jesus tells, looking over the city, <clears throat> here's what he says, therefore behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Wow. Uh, That happened. Of course, the book of Acts bears testimony to how that was played out. Uh, things they did to Paul, to Peter, to the other apostles, they, they rejected them and did stuff. But you know, there's some extra biblical testimony about this as well. Uh, that Jewish historian, or yeah, the Jewish historian whom we've quoted before in this series on Revelation, Josephus, he actually wrote about James, the author of the book of James, called the Lord's Brother. He wrote about him, and here's, he wrote about him in the context of, of, uh, of the Jewish authorities. Here, here's what he says. He says, Annas took the high priesthood and was a bold man in his temper and very insolent. He was also of the sect of the Sadducees who are very rigid in judging offenders. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James and some others. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. Uh, So there's an outside source, uh, a Jewish source, in fact, that testifies to the rejection of Christ and his followers by the Jewish authorities. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him entirely. Now, for 40 years, from A.D. 30 to A.D. 70, in broad numbers, God gave them warnings, and God gave them invitations. Warnings and invitations, uh, but was rejected by the leaders and by the mass or the bulk of the people. This chapter, chapter 16 of Revelation, is the end of Jerusalem and the people. There's no, in, in, in chapter 16, there's no more place for repentance. Mercy is gone. That's what makes it so terrible. Now, you may say, hold on, I don't know if I believe that. Well, this works out in a couple of ways. Remember in Luke 23, where uh, Jesus is sent from Pilate to Herod the king, and Herod the king is glad to see him and says, oh, I want to talk to you, and Jesus will not speak a single word to Herod, though Herod wanted to. Because Herod's day of judgment, if you would, had come when he had the head of John the Baptist cut off. There comes a point in time when the mercy of God's done and all that's left is wrath. That's awful. That's terrible. Well, that's what's happened here in Revelation 16 with regard to Jerusalem and the people of Israel there. they. They say no. And on top of it, they're glad of it. They don't want to repent. They have no desire to repent, as we would see it, to God for their rejection of Jesus the Messiah. No, we don't want to have anything to do with Him. We think He was an imposter. Now, we read this morning that, now, this is important, so don't forget it. The agents of God's wrath, now, they are going to be human agents, going to be Some other agents that are there, but ultimately the agents of God's wrath are angels. We read chapter uh, 15 last week and verse 6, and here's what it says. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. We read that last week. And that's the same angels that's talked about here that that we read about today who are going to pour out each of the the bowls or vials. Well, what should we think about that? A guy named uh, Eldon Ladd had a good comment on that passage. Here's what he says. I think it's worthwhile for us to hear. The appearance of the angels symbolizes their spotlessness. It emphasizes the purity from which the wrath is poured out on the world. This is no bestial thing, evil with passion. It is a pure concern for the right. Now we need to know that. We hear about the wrath of God and all these things and all we think of is the devil. All we think of is wicked things. The wrath of God comes from from, from God. (laughs) It shows us here that the angels are the precipitating agents of that. Now, there are going to be other things that they use, but behind that stands God and His angels. Excuse me. Now, where will the wrath of God be poured out? We read that this morning. The first verse of chapter 16, it says this. The orders to the angels go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So we hear that. We think, oh my goodness, the whole globe gets encircled by this. <clears throat> I think it was either last week or the week before, I think maybe both weeks, I've tried to tell you that the word for earth that's there, it's not in this instance best translated earth. The subject matter of this whole prophecy is the Jews. That's the subject. And the uh, better word to translate is that, well, put up, if you would, the Greek word that's used here. It's the word gay. Uh, you can see it there, you can see how it's spelled. It's used 68 times in, in Revelation. It can mean the whole earth or mankind. It can mean that, it does sometimes. Or a land of a particular nation. Uh, talk about the Sidonians, the Babylonians, etc. Or land as compared with water, or land as compared with heaven. Here, the land, when it's used this way, is used as the land, the, the promised land, the place where I put my people, Israel, Judah, on that land. Pour out your wrath. That's what he's directing the angels to do. Now, there's another word <clears throat> that could have been used if he meant the whole world. So we'll we'll use it, we'll read it today, we read it today in verse 14. And here's what uh, that word is. It's, you got it up there? Yeah. Oikumene, it's used in verse 14. It can mean the Roman Empire, or the whole inhabited earth, or the inhabitants of the earth, or the portion of the earth inhabited by civilized peoples as compared with barbarian peoples, or with the universe and the world. So there, You see that there's other words available to mean the whole world ordinarily and not just the word gay. In fact, ordinarily the word gay does not mean the whole world like like that. So we need to understand that when it says here that pour out the wrath on the earth, we're better offering pour out the wrath on the land. That's where it's going to be focused. That's where it's going to be done Uh, all along. So, this is, in fact, the wrath of God. And we want to look at it. I'm going to, the Lord willing, who knows, I'm just going to walk through the seven uh, bowls and make comments on them, and then at the end, try to make some applications for us today. Now, before we do this, let's remember hermeneutics 201, that is interpreting the Bible. It's always this is a rule to understand there's always a then and there where this the text is written to a real people at a real point in time it's historical it doesn't take out in space it's historical so we need to understand that and certainly that's true with the the vision and the the, the prophecy of revelation read to a particular people at a particular point in time then and there but it's also always because it's scripture It's inspired of God, there's always a here and now for us. It has application to whomever reads it, no matter where they live in terms of chronology, that is if they're alive in 1517, alive in 656, or alive in 2020, or 2326, it doesn't matter. It'll, It'll apply to people there, and no matter where you are in geography. It doesn't matter if you live in America, you live in Italy, you live in Thailand or wherever, you'll have that application. The Scriptures are God's Word to us, humanity. Now then, having said that, let's walk through the bowls. The first bowl is a bowl that's poured out, and there's malignant sores that, are, that happen to these people. And malignant means that they get worse and worse, right? You have, a, you have a malignancy, and you know, oh, it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. It's not benign, it's bad, it's going to grow and get worse, and it's going to become more and more loathsome. And deadly uh, it only falls or happens to those who have the beasts mark and who worship him that's what it says on those who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image so we need to understand that now at this time those as the 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 siege is happening at Jerusalem and all the people are gathered there <clears throat> there may well have been probably worse sores that broke out on them I think however A good way to understand this is to think of the anxieties, fears, anger, frustration, and the increasing turmoil that comes in one's life simply because you reject God. If you reject God, those things will inevitably mount, increase, become more and more intense in your life. Fears, anxieties, frustrations, angers, turmoil. There's no peace with God. We should read Revelation, or not Revelation, but Romans 5 here. which says, therefore let us have peace with God. And He goes on and talks about that. Uh, so, at bowl number two. The sea. The sea, it becomes like the blood of a dead man. And the sea, we've talked about this before, is the cauldron where the people are. And here, <clears throat> uh, all those who are gathered in this sea, where, where, as it were, where uh, the siege is taking place, all of them are going to be dead eternally, cut off from God. That's fearful. Every living thing in the sea there, cut off, dead, away from God. The third bowl talks about rivers and the springs of water. Now, rivers and springs of water are sources of life. Without them, we'd all die. Uh, Here it says that they become blood. Blood. We've already talked about in the introduction here a little bit, about how for the people there in that siege, the words of the gospel, the words of the proclamation of who Jesus is, are abhorrent. They have no place for them at all. Uh, They reject it utterly. (laughs) And so, that which should bring life to them, the gospel message, becomes to them, I don't want to hear it anymore, just shut up. Just be quiet, and don't try to suppress it. it. Becomes like blood to them. Now, this, in this particular, bold judgment, we hear the response from heaven. Now, this is all full, a w e f u l l, all full. Did you hear what it says? Righteous are you, who are and who were. Notice it doesn't say, and who is to come? Because you're here now. You're in a judgment. There's no is to come. He's coming. He's coming in judgment right here now. Who are and who were? Because you judge these things. It says, you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. That's where we got the title for the sermon, Just Deserts. From the throne of God, they deserve it. And then it goes on, and I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments there's nothing of a foreign nature of a evil nature anything like that at all in here they're all true and righteous what you're doing it's right and good you're to be praised for that that's why i say this is a terrible awful chapter to read The fourth angel <clears throat> pours the bowl of wrath upon the sun. We've talked about the elements of the, you know, the sun, the moon, stars. In biblical typology or imagery, those ordinarily stand for governments, for leaders. Think of Joseph and his dreams. Again, we, I hesitate to go back and, and say all this because we've done it before, but I'm afraid people forget. So I don't mind telling you again. Well, mine, but it takes up time, but it's the way it is. Joseph had his dreams. He saw stars, he saw the sun, the moon, and they all represented authorities. And we see the same thing in in numbers of other places that we won't go into now. But governments are supposed to help and protect its citizens, its subjects. That's the role of governments. God instituted judgments or governments for that. That's what they should do. And here, instead of doing that, uh, it's a source of curse, of scorch, of heat. Uh, They're the opposite of what they should be. The government's become the source of not protection, not help, but of just the opposite of beating down. Now I'd like to uh, have them project for you some verses from Psalm 121. Listen to this, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. The sun will not smite you by day. The Lord will protect you from all evil. One of the secondary means by which God does that is through governments, if they're doing what they should, but they're not. You find the same thing in Jeremiah 17 which she will put up there now, it says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He will not fear when the heat comes and will not be anxious in a year of drought. So even in the midst of governments not doing what they should, God's people can be assured that he's on the throne. We need to know that. Uh, So even though there's no repentance and no glory to God, God's still there. So think of Andrew Cuomo. Pray for him. Just because he said that doesn't mean he's lost forever yet. I said that. You probably said something similar to that. And God was merciful and brought you back to himself. Let you see who he is and what he's done. Now, the throne of the beast. This uh, is the fifth angel. It's poured on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened. What in the world is that? Well, we know the beast is the Roman Empire. We talked about that two weeks ago, I think. Well, the, the throne of the beast would be Rome, right? That's where the Roman Empire is. That's why they call it the Roman Empire, not the, you know, the, the Savartan Empire. How's that? It's called the Roman Empire. Well, it says the kingdom will be darkened. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago, I put up for you the line of Caesar's. So they'll put that up for you again so we can remember that. Uh, It started with Julius, then Augustus, then Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, then Nero. Number six, he reigned and ruled from 54 to AD 68. I added here something I don't think we had before. He committed suicide on June the 9th in the year 68. That set off a year and a half of turbulence. Who's going to, because the line of the Caesars is done. There are no more Caesars. But there are three who want to be there, who have some claim to that. And uh, do we have them up there? I can't see. Yeah. Uh, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius. Each of them reigned in the year 69 for part of that. They were just little short times that that they reigned. and they, it all ended finally in December the 21st when Vespasian, who'd been over fighting against the Jews in Israel, came all the way from, from Israel to Alexandria, Egypt, and then up here. And he was enthroned as the emperor on December the 21st of the year 69. But that whole year was turbulence. Now I'd like to give you just a little bit of, of something else happened there I should say. When, when Vespasian came in to Rome. There were some battles that were fought and the temple to Jupiter was burned on the 19th of December of that year that was a huge issue for the Romans Jupiter is their high God he's the hotshot and his temples burned down and people believed in Jupiter and they were upset Anxieties and fears and stuff like that. Now, I'd like to give you just a little bit of a taste of what, why it was turmoil. Here's Galba. Galba was the first one of those guys. Here's what it says. This is from Suetonius. Don't let your kids read Suetonius till they're at least 18. It is horrible, wicked, perverse stuff. It's, Suetonius's 12 lives of the 12 Caesar's, 12 lives of the 12 Caesar's, Caesar, says this. He, Galba, outraged all the classes of Rome high and low and in between, he did them all. During his march on Rome, people were being slaughtered right and left whenever he passed through a town. Just being slaughtered. So that's the kind of guy that was on the throne and it kept on going. He was only there for a little while. And then this guy named, there was another guy, Otho was there, he was there for less than that 45 days. And then Vitellius, the last guy. Uh, Here's what it says about him. This is again Suetonius. His ruling vices were gluttony and cruelty. He banqueted three or four times a day, namely morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. Man, the guy could eat. Now, it tells then about a a recipe he had for this big banquet he had and what they were going to serve, what they had. Listen to this. I I had to put this in because I'd never heard this before. The recipe called for pike livers. I don't know if they went up to, to Red Lake to get those or not, but they got pike, fish somewhere. They went pike livers, pheasant brains, peacock brains, flamingo tongues, and lamprey milk. Man oh man. And it tells in there, Suetonius how they, they ship these things in from all over the, the, the Mediterranean. It says, his cruelty was such that he would kill or torture anyone at all on the slightest pretext. Well. Now, you take that away. I find that fascinating. So, it gives you a sense of the character of those guys who ruled Rome and why it was a darkened time for the whole Roman Empire. Their their throne was darkened. Then the sixth angel is where the Euphrates River gets dried up. You know, Vespasian, when he left Judea to go back to Rome, things sort of quieted down. The Jewish guys thought, well, maybe we've won. The Romans have left. Such was not the case. Once uh, Vespasian was enthroned, his son Titus, who'd been left in Judea, got the message, and he started the assault all over again. And when he came to them, uh, he came from the seacoast, from Caesarea, but he went up, to the north and then came down toward Jerusalem. So, And with him were a whole group of foreigners who reinforced him, guys from Parthia and Syria and places like it who lived to the east but came from the north. And I think that's what this is talking about here when it says the sixth angel poured his bold on the great river, the Euphrates, and the river was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. So, there through the north, down they came toward Jerusalem. And now, the Lord gives us a break. There's an interlude. Verses 13 through 16 are an interlude. It happens at this same point, that is between 6 and 7, in the seals, in the trumpets, and now in the vials or in the bowls. Uh, Why does God give us an interlude? To give us a break from all this bad stuff that's going on, to give us perspective, and to give us encouragement. So we'll see how that happens here. First of all, we need a break. Here's something I just read the other day from Abner Doubleday. He was a general in the Civil War. Not only did he invent baseball, allegedly, but uh, he did other things as well. And he wrote a history of the battles of Chancellorsville and Gettysburg. And uh, he was in both of them and participated. And he's describing the, the battle at Chancellorsville where Guys had been wounded, and uh, they were left in the woods. That's where It was a big wilderness area, woods, and no one could get to them. And then the artillery caused fire to start there, and the fire was burning. And these guys were wounded. They couldn't move, and they were burned up alive. And here's what he said. (laughs) Reading along so far, he says, Let us draw a veil over this scene, for it is pitiful to dwell on it. You can hear in his mind, at least I can hear in his mind, I don't want to remember that. That's too awful to remember those guys lying there crying and burning up, and there's nothing we can do. And I think that's what God does here. He says there's all this wrath being poured out. Let's just draw a veil across that for a while and think about some other things. So he, he, he does that. He gives us a break. But then he gives us some perspective. And those frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet— uh, What we see there, what we should understand is that evil devours itself. Evil cannot stand. Evil hates itself even. And will always do that. And they're going to devour it, and we'll see that in, in due time. Uh, it can do all sorts of signs, all sorts of wonders, all sorts of things, but don't go there. Don't 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 go to evil, regardless of what they do. Do you remember how uh, this is in 1 Kings 22, I think it is, where God wants someone to get Ahab to go up and attack uh, the other people. And who's going to do this? Well, it it shows a scene where in heaven, well, who will go and put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets? The guy says, I will. (coughs) And so that evil spirit goes and does that, and the prophets come and tell him that he'll be all right. So God works through these things to accomplish his purposes. And Ahab, of course, is killed there. As he had been prophesied, and he, what he had to have happen. So uh, these things are, are, it reminds us, some perspective that God is the one who's in charge there. And then there's this encouragement. Christ is coming like a thief. That means people aren't aware of it. Their attention's somewhere else. It says, but you, you, the recipients of this letter, those of you who are hearing it read today, keep alert stay awake know that christ reigns stay alert don't be lulled into sleep don't go off the other way don't follow those other folks stay alert keep yourself clothed clothed with what clothed with the righteousness of christ christ not only took away our sins but he gave us his gift of all the the righteousness that he had accrued he gave to us we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Keep yourself there. In all the ups and downs of life, remember you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ and can stand with confidence before God. And then the last verse of this interlude talks about Armageddon. Uh, you know, Armageddon means the mount, mountain of Megiddo. I'm already five minutes over, so i got to hurry here. I'll leave some stuff out. But uh, that's a code word, if you would, for something like we would say, you know, uh, here's Brian Ratcliffe, and Brian Ratcliffe, he met, his, he met his Waterloo when they played XYZ team in baseball, right? Now, when I say <clears throat> Brian Ratcliffe met his Waterloo, what do we mean? It means he got beat, right? You understand that? That's what... Armageddon means in this literature. Or when you're writing here. Where, where this is, Megiddo's on a little tell here, a little thing, and looks out across the long, long Valley, up and down. On the other side is Mount Gilboa, where Saul was killed. And uh, in between were all sorts of battles that took place down through the ages. That's where Sisera, you know who Deborah and Barak, Barak opposed, that's where he, he lost the battle. That's where Sennacherib was put down and all sorts of things happened there. And so when it says He's bringing all these nations together uh, to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon, it means simply this, the devil and all his hosts will meet their Waterloo. Hear that? The devil and all his hosts, his hosts include spiritual things and sentient people such as us, but those who are not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All the hosts of the devil will meet their Waterloo finally and ultimately. Know that. End of interlude. He goes to bowl number seven, poured into the air. This is the finale. You notice the first words that are spoken here? It is done. Where have you heard that before? You haven't, but you've heard something close to it. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus says, it is finished, right? Talking about the work of redemption. It's finished on the cross, to tell us that. Here, again, a single word means it is done. The judgment of God is poured out. It's wrapped up. It's done. There's no place for repentance, no mercy. It's come in all its fury, all its force, all its horrific nature. Now, that earthquake, it talks about how how it divides it into three parts. No earthquake had been like this before because what God is doing here, He's effecting what had not happened before. He's effecting the divorce from His people. And what happened in the siege was that there were three different parts or segments of parties within the city that just fought among themselves. That's why the Romans could do all this. They were just fighting among themselves. They couldn't couldn't get together. Uh, You know, Josephus talks about this. Uh, He mentions it in his War on the Jews. He says, for I venture to affirm that the sedition destroyed the city, and the Romans destroyed the sedition. He says, all this infighting in between there, being all in these three power groups, that's what destroyed the city, and the Romans destroyed the sedition. Uh, now Babylon, the great that is mentioned here in the seventh bowl, that's Jerusalem. We've, saw, we've seen that earlier. Uh, Jerusalem, which should be the, the representative of God's people, has become the harlot. She's played the harlot. And she's, she's become Babylon, all of what she should not be. Uh, we saw this previously. Matthew 23 that we read, Jesus says much the same thing. How about the islands and the mountains? They all flee away. Well, I read that passage from uh, Psalm 121, which, by the way, we have Psalm 121 out here in our uh, North X. It's, It means that every place of refuge and safety is gone. There's no place to hide. You know, during this coronavirus, uh, people are looking to go to their mountain homes, to their uh, seaside shores, or someplace where it's all safe and secure. <clears throat> here, there's no place to go. All the islands, all the mountains are gone. No refuge is what it means. And what about these hailstones? Well, uh, during the siege, the Romans had brought with them scores of catapults. They had those. Amazing things the Romans did. And they hurled huge stones. And they were a major part of how they conquered Jerusalem. Now, Josephus talks about those as well. Here's, here's what he says about the, the uh, catapults themselves. It says, the engines were admirably contrived. They threw stones. The stones that were cast were of the weight of a talent, that is 100 pounds, and were carried two furlongs and farther. So they hurled a long way, 100-pound weights. Now, the thing was, they had white stones. If you've been to Israel, you know the stones are all white here. That's the color they are. So Josephus goes on. And remember, he's an eyewitness of these things. He's there. Here's what he says. As for the Jews... They at first watched the coming of the stone, for it was of a white color, and could therefore not only be perceived by the great noise it made, think about that, the noise, but could be seen also before it came by its brightness. The watchman gave notice, and those that were in its way stood off and threw themselves to the ground, and the stone fell down and did them no harm. Well, what's the use of having catapults then? Well, the Romans are not really dummies. He goes on and says this, But the Romans contrived how to prevent that by blackening the stone, who then could aim at the Jews with success when the stone was not discerned beforehand. And so they destroyed many of the Jews with one blow. That is, each stone would would kill a whole bunch. that's, Josephus says that. So there, we've walked through Revelation 16, and it only took an hour and a half to do it or it only seemed like an hour and a half to you, but it really wasn't that long. Here's what we want to say. Here's the application. We're under judgment, morally and spiritually, in the West, in our land. Uh, We're under God's judgment, where He's letting us do things we should not do. Uh, We're under judgment physically. Physically, this virus, this coronavirus, that's a judgment from God. I don't know how you can think of it any other way. It's a judgment from God. It's a wicked stuff. Bad. It is, but it's from God. How will we respond? Think of all the idols in our lives. Think of the idol of health. Man, I've got to go to the gym and work out. I've got to run 110 miles a day. I've got to do this and that and I've got to stay fit. So you care all about your body, but what about your soul? Have you cared for your soul half as much as you've cared for your body? That's what he's asking us, Christians and non-Christians. Read 1 Timothy 4. There's a 2 Timothy 4, I can't remember, should have thought of this beforehand. Think about sports. Could you have believed two months ago that there'd be no March Madness, no NBA season, no Stanley Cup, no Little League Baseball? No Major League Baseball? We could not have dreamt of it. Is that an idol that had to be torn down in our lives? Think about abortion. What's been really disconcerting for me and uh, discouraging although it's, you can expect it, is that the proponents of abortion have grown more bold in the midst of this lockdown. Abortion is an essential service to life. We've got to go in and kill unborn babies. It's important for life. Do you understand how, how wretchedly wrong that is? And people buy that. How about the LGBTQ, the whole sexual part of life, become an idol? So good Christian organization like Samaritan's Purse goes into Central Park, sits up hospital tents to help the people there, and they're doing a good job, and they're glad to have them there, except that then they find out they're evangelical Christians, and people begin to protest, stand out there regularly. Someone's brought a lawsuit against them because he went to volunteer. He could because he wouldn't sign your profession of faith, here's what we abide by. It could be an idol that God's bringing us to. We praise God for these things. We can't say we don't deserve this. We can't say that, but so far as we know, we're not at the place yet where Mercy is no longer available. Now, you've heard me say this before, two or three, four weeks ago. Uh, It's it's all right to be sorry for all this, but are we repentant? That's what God... That's the thing here in, in Revelation 16. People have no repentance. Pray that we can repent, wherever things are in your life. I don't know what it is. And that our nation and leaders can repent. If we don't repent we'll get our just desserts amen